Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Redeemed Through His Blood. In this podcast, we discuss hope, healing, and redemption through the atonement of Jesus Christ. My name's Scott Durfee. I want to be the first to welcome you out today. And as always, it's my honor to welcome my partner in this project, our amazing teacher, and my friend, Brother David Durfee. Say hi, Dave. So good to be here. Last week, we spoke about the events of the atonement of Jesus Christ, finished our discussion about that, and I'm looking forward today to begin talking about the uh, all the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Super excited to get this uh, going today. We've spent a great deal of time covering uh, the most important stuff that we could ever potentially address in our lives, and uh, it's been a lot of fun doing that over the last 11 or so episodes. Uh, as this one rolls out now, we'll be getting into more of the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and I think that uh, everybody will at least feel an invitation from the Spirit to apply the things that we're learning and uh, make our lives better for doing that. Before we get into that topic today, though, I want to take care of just a couple of real quick items of business. First off, we want to thank you for your emails. We've received some feedback over the last few weeks and are grateful for that. We've also uh, received several questions that we've been able to address privately. If uh, you have those, we wouldn't mind uh, you just sending us an email. If they're appropriate, we can address them and maybe even talk about them in some, to some extent here on the podcast. And our email is he redeems us at gmail.com. That's he redeems us at gmail.com. So once again, just encourage your questions, comments, uh, etc. When you go to the various podcast uh, outlets, if you wouldn't mind liking, giving us a like there and maybe even uh, review, we'd really appreciate that as well. So as uh, Dave just mentioned, over the last uh, three episodes, we really got into the events of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. We started before that, too, I mean, there's four real pillars to the atonement of Jesus Christ. And before that, we talked in great deal about the number one, his sinless life and why it needed to be that way. And then we moved uh, into the Garden of Gethsemane, where we talked about uh, the pain and the suffering and the bleeding from every pore and even the betrayal that had happened just prior to that and everything that went on. And then we moved from there to the cross uh, on Golgotha and really emphasize the importance of our understanding and our coming to him there at the cross where he paid, uh, continued and finished paying for our sins and all of the iniquities and pains and sorrows of the world. From there, last week, we spent a great deal of time talking about hope in, re in the resurrection hope in the many things that uh, we'll be moving into now as we start talking about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And one of the scriptures that uh, we read, I just want to address it and visit it one more time. This was brought to our attention by President Nelson, our prophet. Uh, in a talk, he talked about how important it was and why the atonement of Jesus Christ was and why Jesus did what he did. And this is from Hebrews 12 to Dave. And from here, I think that we'll be able to springboard into our discussion today. But I just wanted to just, as a reminder to ourselves and to our listeners, uh, address and, and visit this scripture one more time. This is in Hebrews 12, 2, where it says, the author of Hebrews, uh, which was probably Paul, says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him 
endured the cross. So I think that's important for us to remember that uh, as painful and as horrific and hellacious as everything it was that Jesus went through, there was a great deal of joy, unfathomable joy, joy that we can't comprehend that uh, was set before him and that helped him and encouraged him and gave him strength to do the things that he did. So Dave, now that we have uh, talked about all of the events, uh, in some detail, there's much more, and we could write volumes and speak days and, and weeks just on that topic. But uh, in some depth, we've gotten into the events of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Now we really move into, and I've said this before in other podcasts, this is where the rubber hits the road. Well, this is where the rubber hits the road again, just in a different way. This is where we start having the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ alive and well in our lives to the degree that our spiritual wellness is intact. In other words, to the degree that we are inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives. So, Dave, with that, where do we go? Well, it's important that we review briefly that because of the fall of Adam and Eve and the universal fall of all mankind, that there were two major negatives, spiritual death and physical death. The atonement of Jesus Christ, unconditionally and conditionally, overcome both of those. So whenever we speak of the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, there are always two aspects to it. The unconditional aspects of the atonement of Jesus Christ and the conditional aspects of his atonement. So when we speak of spiritual death caused by the fall of Adam and Eve and the uh, being cast out of God's presence, Adam and Eve, and that all of us were cut off from the presence of God and that we have all suffered this form of spiritual death being being cut off from our heavenly home into a, a hellish, mortal, celestial world, the atonement of Jesus Christ unconditionally overcomes that in, I believe, uh, three or four major ways. We talked about one of them a few episodes ago, which is that we will all return to our heavenly home all of God's children will have a face-to-face -face interview, reckoning, judgment with him. We will all unconditionally return to his presence. That's only possible because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. So that's one unconditional aspect of how the uh, Savior's atonement unconditionally overcomes spiritual death. And here's Here's another way it unconditionally overcomes spiritual death, is that all children who die before the age of accountability, all are unconditionally redeemed and will return to the highest, to the highest kingdom of glory, to the celestial worlds. That's unconditional, Scott, and I think this is one of the greatest... Uh, points of doctrine in the entire restoration of the fullness of the gospel in these latter days. There are so many people who have lost children, myself included, who, um, who without the knowledge of the atone, 
uh, uh, the gospel, the restored gospel, and the atonement of Christ, don't know where those children are. They just don't. I, I've read recently about uh, some of the religious discussions and debates about what happens to children. I, I've, I think we've all had experiences with that. Uh, I remember a missionary companion of mine when I taught at the missionary training center after I returned home from my mission, and he would share this. It seemed like every Tuesday he would share this with the, with the missionaries that when he was on his mission in Canada, he was tracting, and he knocked on this one door. It was near evening, and he heard a voice in his mind. And uh, the voice said, Read Moroni 8, 10 through 12. And he, he was, he'd only been out a few months, and he started to unzip his scripture cover to find Moroni 8, 10 through 12 because he didn't even know what it said. And he, he finds it just as a young woman opens the door, and he reads to her Moroni 8, 10 through 12 about the uh, Mormon uh, condemning infant baptism and saying that all children are alive in Christ and need no repentance. Well, he read those three verses to, and without even looking up, and when he looked up, she's got tears uh, flowing down her cheeks, and and uh, she says, who told you? And he said, told us what? How did you know? She said, know what? How did you know my baby just died two weeks ago? Mm. Who sent you here? And he said, the Lord Jesus Christ. And she said, I've been praying for two weeks that God would send somebody to me to tell me where my baby is. And she had, she told the experience that she was a member of a certain church, and she went to that church and, and asked the, the priest, uh, where's my baby? And he told her that this has been a long time ago, keep this in mind, because they've kind of changed, softened their doctrine on this. But he told her that uh, her baby was in purgatory and and that the baby, because the baby hadn't been received infant baptism. Anyway, she, she said, I knew that couldn't be true. So I've been praying for two weeks to know where my baby is. Well, they went back when her husband was, was home on another evening and taught and baptized them. President Hinckley shared a very similar story, to the, something just like that, that happened in the state of New York. And I know that probably happens maybe monthly somewhere in the world with our full-time missionaries, how many of them uh, are able to give the sweet knowledge and comfort to individuals who have lost children. We believe that all little children who die before the age of accountability, even though, Scott, it's important that we know that all children are fallen, all children have felt the effects of spiritual death, even though they're innocent and they can't sin before the age of accountability, they're still fallen. Uh, King Benjamin teaches us that in Mosiah 3.16. But because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, they are unconditionally saved. That's, that's great news. That is great news. And if that was the only news that we got, that alone 
would be enough. But it's so, so much more than that. I don't know how a mom who's lost a child in that moment could feel like anything could be more than that, though. And I think that's the beauty behind all of the all of the things that we're talking about is whatever we are going through or whatever somebody else is going through, the atonement of Jesus Christ has already leveled up to meet the demands of whatever that is. And if that's the loss of the child, we talk about the other things unconditionally, and there's so much more to this. You know, we know of, we know of children, uh, and and I know of people personally, and so do you, who have suffered at the hands of adults just really awful things that wasn't their choice. And you know, we're going to get more into you know the redemptive and the enabling and the compensatory components of the atonement and, that, and those powers, but that's part of the unconditional. As well. Well, before we leave the the uh, covering children, uh, I checked this again this morning because it's it's so hard for us to understand and believe this. But in the United States, in the 1800s, the infant mortality rate was over 46 percent. Children reaching the age of five years old. So think about this, Scott, and this is in the United States. I, I imagine in some countries it would be much higher than that. In the United States, in the 1800s, almost half of children that were born would not reach the age of five. Now just think about this for a minute. If uh, thousands of years of children being born on this earth and uh, approximately half of them not surviving the age of accountability, think how many of God's children, his sons and daughters, are in the celestial kingdom. That is an amazing statement of the mercy and grace of the atonement of Jesus Christ and the love of God. I, I, I just think it's wrong for anybody to even believe for a second that most of God's children are not going to be in the celestial kingdom. I think it will definitely be the most populated kingdom, just based on this point of doctrine right. alone. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'm just really grateful for that. My wife and I have... Uh, we have no official doctrine in the church uh, when it comes to stillborns, but my, sweet, I, my sweetheart and I have had, had to suffer through, through that, through having stillborns, there's been miscarriages. We have, again, there's not an official statement, but I think one can know through the Spirit about uh, about certain things that maybe where there's not an official doctrine in the church. And uh, we have buried a couple of babies, and I am so thankful for this point of doctrine and the the power, the mercy, the grace of the atonement of Jesus Christ that covers children. We'll, we'll use uh, several times in this podcast the, the word covered, and uh, just to remind our, our listeners that the Hebrew word kafar is the Old Testament Hebrew f- form of atone or reconciliation, which means to cover, to cover. I, I just think that's such a sweet uh, description of what the atonement of Jesus Christ does. It covers us. It uh, compensates for us. 
I, I think of a blanket, a warm blanket covering us, or uh, certain powers of the atonement that make up for our inefficiencies or inadequacies. So uh, let's, let's maybe talk about another unconditional aspect of the atonement of our Savior that overcomes spiritual death. I had an experience uh, many years ago, Scott. Um, we were invited to participate in the church's uh, program, family home evening program at the Utah State Penitentiary at the point of the mountain here in Utah, and we were invited to a, kind of adopt a prisoner, and uh, one someone who didn't really have a family, and and we would go every first Monday of the month, and uh, we would have family home evening with this prisoner. We would uh, share a gospel message. I remember being a little nervous about this. I had four small children. I was in my mid-30s. We went up to the prison the, f- the first Monday of the month, and uh, we were uh, went through four iron doors and got into the non-denominational chapel, and we were introduced to a man by the name, well, I won't share his name. Uh, his name was David, and like my name's David. But um, we were introduced to this man, David, who had been in prison for 14 years. And uh, I, I didn't know anything about him, and we had a little uh, opening exercise, and then we were... Uh, taken to a room where we went in this room alone, my family with this uh, inmate, and uh, he uh, wanted to know about us, and we wanted to know about him, and we just had this amazing experience introducing ourselves and him uh, telling us a little bit about himself. And I remember when he started to introduce himself, he said, I suppose you're wondering why I'm here. And I stopped him and I said, no, if it's okay, David, we don't need to know why you're here. We, we want to focus on your future and the present, not so much the past, because I didn't want my children to be afraid of him or to think of him really as a, uh, as a criminal. So he, I didn't really know why he was there and at the time didn't really care. Uh, so uh, we just had this unbelievable experience. He was a bodybuilder. And uh, he, he, I don't know if this was uh, against the rules, but he took off his shirt and started doing, you know, showing us flexing for us. Yeah, probably a minor <laughs> infraction at best. I, I think that probably was probably inappropriate, but I know my daughters sure thought it was awesome. <laughs> you know, they were, uh, they were pretty young. I think they were 10 and 11 or something like that. Um, uh, anyway, it was pretty impressive, and it made me a little nervous because he... He told us he, he bench-pressed about 500 pounds, and um, he was only 5'9", five, 5'10", five, but he was just, <laughs> there was no body fat on him. Anyway, uh, we had this delightful experience, and we came to love him, and uh, always looked forward uh, for two, for, for just over two years we did that. But about six months into it, I guess, uh six or seven months into it, I, I had a volunteer card, so I would try to go up once a month and go to church with him. He wasn't a member. He happened to be Muslim, and he was black, and I wanted to kind of convert him. 
So I was encouraging to go to church and would go with him, uh, go up there and go to attend church with him. And I went up there one Sunday to go to church with him, and the bishop uh, was waiting for me and said, uh, Brother Durfee, uh, David came to see me this week, and he's been really depressed, and uh, he, he needs to talk to you. He needs, he's afraid that when you find out why he's here, that you'll stop bringing your family, and he, he's really come to love your family. And I said, well, I'm fine with knowing. I just didn't want my kids to know. And the bishop said, I understand, of course. So the bishop uh, got David and me together and put us uh, in, uh, I think, his office. And for over an hour, David told me his story. And I was, again, in my mid-30s, and I had, I had just never imagined some of these things, Scott. Um, I think I was pretty naive. Uh, anyway, he told us that he was um, born to a prostitute, and uh, that his mother was a prostitute, and he never had a dad or had any father figure in his life, and she was quite abusive, and uh, at the age of six, she forced him into child prostitution, and I'll never forget the, uh, his words, quote, my mother made a lot of money off of me. And I just was so disheartened listening to his story and the abuse that he went through. He also told me a story about he had a big dent in his uh, forehead, uh, right in the middle of his forehead. He had this big dent, this impression in his forehead. And and he told me that he was um, 10 years old and his mother... Uh, hit him in the head with a tire iron when he was sound asleep because he had forgotten to take out the garbage that morning. And he knew that uh, he was, you know, his life was in danger living there. He had started to complain about the child prostitution, the acts of child prostitution, and she gave him his first shot of heroin when he was eight years old. Oh, my gosh. So he was a drug addict. He was... Through no choice of his own. And ran away from home uh, for his life, really. Out of survival. When he was 12 years old, living on the streets of Kansas City, Missouri. And at the age of 14, he said he had a gun. And I'll never forget these words he said to me. I hated my mother, but in some strange way I loved her, and I thought I could help her, so I went home. And it wasn't many days that he was home that she did something that set him off, and he shot his mother. And he became uh, kind of the property of the state in their juvenile detention system, and uh, at the age of 18, he had the opportunity to get out of Missouri by joining the Peace Corps, and so he joined the Peace Corps, and he ends up in Utah, and uh, in Utah, at the age of 18, something happened. I don't know any specifics, but he he somebody did something to him that set him off and he killed a man 
shot and killed a man, committed his second murder at the age of 18. So he was given 10 years to life, and I met him when he was uh, 32. Uh, so he'd been in for 14, and we we just developed this really sweet relationship. But I remember that day, I'll never forget that day, and coming home and thinking, wow, wow, he never had a chance. Never. Never had a chance. And for months, Scott, I prayed about what is there any is there any chance for him here and now or in the afterlife? And it really caused me my experience with him was life changing because of what it kind of forced me to study and learn about the the powers and blessings of the atonement of Jesus Christ and I'd I I don't know how accountable he he David is or isn't. I don't know that. I'm not the judge. I don't know his mind. I don't know what really happened there. But I know God does. And I do know that in the Book of Mormon, this is so when I when I really I had read this so probably so many times on my my mission and and in teaching seminary, but it never made any, didn't mean anything to me until after meeting, going to the prison and and developing a, a close brotherhood and relationship with, with David. And uh, we read in Mosiah chapter 3, King Benjamin's address, He after describing Gethsemane and blood coming from every pore in verse 7, in verse 9 it says, and lo, he cometh unto his own, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. And even after all this, they shall consider him a man, and say that he hath a devil. And they shall scourge him, and shall crucify him. And he shall rise the third day from the dead. And behold, he, Jesus Christ, standeth to judge the world." And behold, all these things are done. This is so important. Why are all these things done? All these things are done that a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men. I used to ask my students, Scott, when I would uh, teach this course in institute, I would always ask, so what's, what's a righteous judgment? Use another word to describe a righteous judgment. And they would say, merciful, and I'd say, good. And they would say, uh, loving, and I'd say, good. And somebody would always end up saying, fair. Judgment, the judgment will be fair. And I would, and I would always go, yes, the judgment will be all of those things. It, but it will definitely be a righteous judgment is a fair judgment that a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men. Now, get this verse. This is amazing. For behold, and also his blood atoneth for the sins of those who have fallen by the transgression of Adam, who have died not knowing the will of God concerning them, or who have ignorantly sinned. How many people in this world have ignorantly sinned, who have not known, really, 
the commandments, who haven't really known the laws of God. There, I believe, <laughs> well, we probably have all in our lives ignorantly sinned, but there are so many people in this world who just don't have the same knowledge and understanding and standards and therefore not as accountable as we are. It's amazing to think how many people in this world from the time of Adam and Eve until now who have ignorantly sinned. The atonement of Jesus Christ covers them. And again, I'm not the judge, but I believe that may cover, that may cover somebody like my friend David, who um, maybe wasn't in his right mind when he did some of those things. Yeah, and that's what I was going to say. I think this ignorantly sin can be more than just, well, I didn't know. You know, I mean, there are, because Dave, I, I'm, a, I'm associated with guys like your David on a pretty constant basis. Uh, they're not incarcerated anymore, <laughs> but they, uh, many of them have been. And, and this is a pretty prevalent uh, scenario, I think, that runs through the lives of those folks that have those types of issues going on in their lives. To know is one thing, but to be conditioned to be able to even carry out the things that we know. I, I mean, I think that we all have the light of Christ, right? Somebody's thinking that right now. Even as we're saying this, right. somebody's listening right. to this podcast saying... We all have a conscience. Yeah, but we all have the light of Christ, and so we're all, uh, we all have to have integrity towards that light of Christ that we have, which is true. We are not refuting that in, at all. Right. What we are saying is this... If a, if, a, if a kid is born into a situation where at an age before he's even accountable... Before his mind's developed. Before it's even began to be developed in ways that will help him in the future to make these types of decisions. And we see this. It's not just David. There are Davids out there. There are Davids listening right now to the things that we're talking about. And here's the message. We do need to be responsible, and we do need to have integrity to that which we do know. There are things sometimes in a person's past, especially in an impressionable child's past, that can and will affect their, their decisions in life. And that can be decisions, and that can be emotions that affect decisions, and that can be so many other things. And so, you know, I think that as we study this and just this part of it, it, we can see the mercy and love come through this part, just this one component of the atonement. The mercy and love from a heavenly father and his son comes through to us in such strong waves that I think that if we, if we are able to hook on to that and make that a part of our lives, that this healing, this redemption, that all of the things that we start moving towards and for now... Uh, are are easier for us to accomplish, easier for us to do. And if nothing else, and if for no other reason, we're just less hard on ourselves. You know, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We're definitely going to be accountable for that which we know. But there are those who it will be different a little bit for. Yeah, I thank you, Scott. I I don't know who who's who that covers and who it doesn't cover, but. I believe to some aspect, some in some degree or another, it covers all of us, that make, uh, make mistakes or sin because of the false traditions of our fathers and because of the, 
the things that have been um, impressed upon our minds and that we sometimes react before we have really the opportunity to really think it out and to and to act. Uh, I know that the atonement of Jesus Christ is allows us to be to act and not to be acted upon. I know that. Right. I I love how Elder Bednar has has emphasized that over the years of his apostolic since he was called his apostolic ministry. But the fact is some have been acted upon. And because they've been acted upon, it has affected how they act. And maybe they haven't had their moral center completely developed in their mind. And maybe they maybe it affected how they were wired or the there are some individuals who before they were able to act were acted upon and it affects their behavior the rest of their life. I, I'm not trying to make anybody an exception or use I hope nobody takes anything we say and uses it for an excuse. Never. No. But the reality is Jesus Christ took upon himself the sins of all the world, and that includes the sins of those who act out ignorantly. I, I um, Even Jacob teaches in 2 Nephi chapter 2 that those who don't have the law are covered by the atonement of Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, and so many, so many times, so often, David, for example, you know, I'd like to know his mother's story, and, right, and so right. on, and and her parents' stories, yes. and, and so it goes on. on and on yeah. and on. The cycle, on and on, and I think that you know, through the atonement of Jesus Christ, this not only helps us to live better lives for ourselves, but through the atonement of Jesus Christ, David, I think that we now can, with empathy and love in our hearts turn our decisions to, I, you know what, I'm going to make a decision to be understanding towards that person. I'm going to make a decision to love that person and give them the benefit of the doubt because I don't know what it was like to be them growing up. Right. Even their parents, like we said before. And so, you know, the, the atonement of Jesus Christ not only allows me to feel compensated for those things in my own life, but it gives me better... Empathy and love towards those who might need that extended their way. I think that's that's an awesome application. If we understood the doctrine of how the atonement covers those who have ignorantly sinned, Scott, we would be so much more merciful, gracious, forgiving towards individuals who have maybe hurt us or offended us or done things that they shouldn't have done um, we we would be able to maybe let it go and forgive them uh, more more quickly if we understood this yeah, point of doctrine. As a matter of fact, it's important that we do let it go. You know, we've been commanded, and if we're really truly to be Christ-like, we are to forgive. How often? Seventy times seven. You know, which is just symbolism for you forgive through perfection, yeah. right? You forgive perfectly. And so we've been commanded to forgive like that, uh, and, you know, we should be able to extend that even to those who are our family members who may have 
done things. And, you know, and I, I'm, I'm trying to be sensitive here because this is not an indictment on anybody. But I know that there are a lot of us who, and when I say a lot of us, all of us to some degree or another have been affected by things from, that have happened to us in our past. Right. As little kids, as teenagers, whatever, even as adults, whatever the case may be. Now, we are responsible to do what we can do. And we've been given tools, and through Heavenly Father's blessings, and literally blessings, we can overcome those kinds of things. It's not my job, job though, to judge somebody. Only else's. God and that. Only God. Only God and that person can can really know that and uh, understand their accountability. But you know, people who have been sexually abused uh, so often become abusers. And um, I just think it's so critical that those who have been abused, usually by those who have been abused, by those who have been abused, that it would just help us all to understand how the atonement of Jesus Christ covers not only those acts of abuse, but to some degree, and I again, I don't know, covers those those individuals. Um, I, you know, I've been a bishop. Uh, I know all other bishops, stake presidents, who have to set in judgment, uh, representing, trying as hard as they can to represent the Lord Jesus Christ in the church, and and um, have to help individuals who have who have been abused or been affected by abuse, or who have acted out because of their abuse. Um, the Holy Spirit has has touched me uh, over and over again in those cases where you, someone who has had a perfect childhood and then acts out, out of rebellion, mm-hmm. is different than an individual who acts out, who, because of the sins heaped upon them, they are now ignorantly sinning. Again, I I know it's more complicated than we than we can understand, but I just think that's so beautiful that the atonement of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, covers all of those sins that have been committed ignorantly, all those individuals who have sinned ignorantly. What a blessing. <laughs> I mean, you know, that just that should get, give hope to all of us, because at some level, at some, to some degree, we are all your inmate friend. We just have, I mean, there's just parts of all of us that need the depth and level of the atonement of Jesus Christ that David did. Yeah. Well, here's the rest of that story. Gets it gets more even more personal. So, because we had had a couple of stillborns, we decided that we would adopt. And because of our relationship with David, we wanted to adopt a black baby. That's where that desire really started. And so we started to check into adoption agencies who specialized in adopting black babies. And we reached out to Denver and Houston and Philadelphia. And uh, Philadelphia contacted us. 
they they had a baby who uh, who had had some challenges. They had to take it out, the baby out of its uh, the the home because of a court order because the baby had been abused, and um, you know asked us if we'd be interested, and uh, and we just felt inspired, impressed to do this. Went to the temple and and thought it was the right thing to do. So we went back to Philadelphia and adopted this baby. And the next Monday was uh, the, our Monday to go to the prison. And we were all, as a family, so excited to take this black baby to the prison and, sh- you know, have the baby meet David. David knew about us, us doing this process. In fact, he was so supportive of it that, and in fact, if he wouldn't have been supportive, we wouldn't have done it. That's how close we wow. were to him. Yeah, yeah. And he was... Uh, so excited to see us. He knew we had gone back to Philadelphia. He knew that we were coming. And uh, so we show up to the, the the chapel. We get to the chapel of the prison, and uh, we, we go early. And uh, I'm surprised because David's sitting in the chapel waiting for us. <laughs> and there's only David and our family. Yeah. And he looks like a million bucks. He knew this baby was coming. And he had slicked back his hair, greased back his hair. He had, I don't know how he pulled this off, but his blue jeans were starched and hard creased like soup pants. And his, at the time, they, they wore blue shirts in prison. Now they wear white. But he had his blue denim shirt on, and that was starched, and his top button buttoned. And I said, David, you look like a million bucks and 50 cents. And... And he was so excited. And I said, you want to hold the baby? And he said, yes. And so I took the baby and held him, gave him to David. And David, in his these big hands, and holds this baby, and he starts to kind of shake. And, and uh, I said, David, he likes to kind of be held close. And David rolled him into his huge, muscly arms. And I said, no, no, David, you're going to crush him. <laughs> Look, let me let me show you how to hold the baby. So I took the baby. Isaac uh, is our baby, and I take Isaac, and I I say you got to hold him like this, and and so he holds him and starts to rock him, and something happened. Um, David looks into Isaac's eyes, and Isaac looks into David's eyes, and uh, David becomes. I I mean, it's just like. You could see his whole countenance fall. He became deeply depressed. It was like immediate. And he hands me back the baby, and he won't talk to us the rest of the night. And I'm thinking, oh, man, I can't get him to answer any questions. He won't talk to us. He just keeps putting up his hands in, in the air and shaking his head, no, don't talk to me. And it was awful. What was What was supposed to turn out to be an amazing experience uh, not not for me, but for my children. I was just so excited for my children to have this experience. Uh, it turned out to be awful. And I was really upset and went home that night. And the next day I went back to the prison because I had a volunteer card. And I went back right after I got through teaching seminary on Tuesday. And I, they let me in to see David, to visit him. And I went right into his house because I was a volunteer. And what he called his house, and uh, and there in the lunchroom, you know, we're sitting at a table, and and uh, I said, hey, listen, 
listen to me, David. I don't know what happened last night, but if every time we bring that baby to family home evening, if you're going to act like that and it's going to make you depressed, then we're done. We're not going to come anymore. I was just so mad at how it had turned out, mostly for my other children. And I remember him taking his fist and hitting the table. And him, he was angry. And he said, it's a little late for that, don't you think? For the first time in my life, I held a baby. That is the first time in my life I have held a baby. And I have never felt such love. I have just one question for you, he said. Why wouldn't God allow me to be born into a family like yours? Why wouldn't he give me a mother like Isaac now has? Why didn't I have that opportunity? Well, I had completely misunderstood. I had no idea what David had uh, thought, what he had felt that, uh, that day before, and, oh, my heart was broken. Uh, and, uh, and Scott, I, you know, this is one of the most spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life, really, because there in that moment, in the prison, I knew by the power and gift of the Holy Ghost what God wanted me to say. In response to David's questions, his question was, why didn't God give me a mother and family like yours? And I knew what to say. I did. I had been thinking about this, I had been searching the Scriptures, I'd been, and I knew that I could say this to him by the power of the Spirit. And I said, David, I don't know why, but I know this, that someday, if it is your desire to have a family like that, that you will have a family like that. And someday, David, you will have the opportunity to have a mother like that. I knew that was true. He knew that was true. He felt the, he felt the Holy Ghost. This Muslim murderer felt the Holy Ghost. I knew it, Scott. I recognized it. And he sat there with tears rolling down his cheeks, nodding his head yes. We both knew. And I said to him, and this is possible only because of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Someday you'll have a family and a mother like that. And he nodded his head yes. Unfortunately, David will never 
he something happened. It's another long story. While we were while we were still seeing him, he got in a fight with somebody in prison who had apparently raped a Mormon missionary sister, a missionary or something, and David found out about it, and and David uh, almost killed this other prisoner, and and he's uh, he's been institutionalized. The 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 parole board said he'll never get out of prison. He's he's in there for the rest of his life. Uh, it's been many years since I've seen him, but I still love him, and I still know that someday David will have a family and a mother made possible only through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And then, Scott, this son that we car- this baby that we carried in there, this this son who we love, Isaac, that we carried into prison. Uh, at the age of uh, 26, uh, went back to prison, this time as an inmate himself. And uh, my sweet son, uh, my eternal son, sealed to us as if he were born in the covenant. Something like that's the wording they use in the temple when they seal babies that are adopted. And and, and then at 26, he goes back to prison. He goes to prison now as an inmate. And what people, I think, don't understand, and I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm not making any excuses for him or anyone else in any of this discussion. But my son was born as a fetal alcohol baby. His mind has never been fully developed. He still acts and sees himself as an adolescent. He struggles with bipolar. He has a form of autism, Asperger's, and was abused as an infant, which uh, psychiatrists and experts have written a lot about, how that can imprint even on an infant for the rest of their life things that they don't they act out on that they don't even know why. Uh, so I have a son who I am so thankful in some way is is covered, even though he grew up a, in the church and he loves the church and he loves the prophets and he loves the Lord. But for whatever reason, making no excuses, he d- does things that... Uh, are really sad and really hurtful, and I am so sorry for all of the wrong that he has done and all of the victims he has left in his uh, wake. I'm just, I'm so sad by that. But I know that because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that someday it will all work out and that maybe even he is is covered and that life life and the judgment are fair because of the power of Christ's atonement it's really easy for us to build a case around david in prison uh, your 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 adopted inmate in prison
probably didn't have a very good start in life. Not probably. We know he didn't have a very good start in life. Neither did Isaac. Didn't have a shot. Didn't have a shot. Many of us do, though. Many of us do have what would seemingly be a really good shot in life, and we still at some times can have slips. We can make mistakes. We can go contrary to our integrity. We can make decisions that we promised we would never make. And we make them anyway. And sometimes some of us, even though we had a great start, there will be times when I, I've been asked this, Scott, why'd you do that? And the question, and the question is valid. The answer seems weak, because, but it's true. And, it's, and I've heard it a million times from other people too. I don't know. I really don't know. You know, I, I do, I know, you know, but the answer is not sufficient or adequate. I can't say, you know, because I do know this because I'm a fallen man, because I've, I've separated the spiritual death because I've, you know, and I'm, I, and I'm going through all this stuff. I know that, but, but what about those? And, and I'm saying this mostly rhetorically, this is something for us to consider because I think that the answer is clear, but I want to bring it out. I want to really emphasize how important this is. Most of us who are listening to this podcast cannot identify, I'm not David in prison. Most of us can't identify. Some can, and, and you know, to those, our, our hearts go out and our prayers are deep and our hope is eternal, but, but some of us haven't had those types of things and we still make mortal decisions. We still make natural man mistakes, but... We look back and we say, yeah, but I didn't go through all that. So I am more accountable, which we probably are more accountable, but we are less, af- we are, n- let me rephrase that. We are no less affected by the atonement of Jesus Christ than those that did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, this, this doctrine in regards to the powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ I think is it changes our behaviors as we learn and understand the breadth and the depth of the of the mercy and grace of the atonement of Jesus Christ, and uh, it's it is taught so clearly in the Book of Mormon in the Scriptures and and by the prophets. I think one of my, I think it is my favorite statement in all of Preach My Gospel is on page 52, and it says, quote, All that is unfair about life can be made right through the atonement of Jesus Christ. Well, I, I love that, and I, I know it's true, Scott. I a few years ago, I had the opportunity to go to, to prison to visit my son. Uh, and Elder Anderson uh, wanted to go with me. He had made arrangements t- uh, for both of us to go early on a Sunday morning uh, to visit Isaac. He wanted to meet Isaac, and uh, he had arranged with the bishop to address the other um, inmates. This was right before COVID. And uh, we went up there on a early Sunday morning and went into a room after Isaac and Elder Anderson had had an opportunity to meet and talk, and so sweet, by the way, and to, to watch that as a father. And then 
to go into a room with uh, about 80 other inmates uh, in white jumpsuits or white pants and shirts. And, and uh, I, I just kind of stood back and I watched this apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ minister, literally minister to these inmates. I, I could feel his love for them, and I know they felt it too. There was one man there who, you know, was all tattooed up and looked hard, and most of the inmates stood for Elder Anderson when he shook their hands, but a few of them didn't, and uh, this man didn't. And and Elder, and he, in fact, he he was leaning forward, sitting down, leaning forward, looking at the floor when Elder Anderson came over to him and started to pat him on the back. Elder Anderson patting him on the back and said, Hi, my name's Neil. Can I meet you? And this man looks up at him, and Elder Anderson puts out his hand, and this man reached forth his hand, and I think he felt a little of the love of God in that moment, and it was a sweet interchange. And then Elder Anderson spoke to the inmates. We were there for about two hours, and he would he he shared his witness and testimony, and he asked them if they had questions. And I'll never forget one inmate uh, saying, in some frustration and and really heart wrenching, um, in a heart wrenching voice said, Elder Anderson, some of us have lost everything. We've lost our wives, our, our children, our family, our, our opportunities, our membership in the church, our, everything that's dear to us. Some of us have lost everything. And I remember Elder Anderson, uh, after listening to this man uh, cry out, uh, Elder Anderson said, with great compassion and great feeling, he answered, I want to testify to you that because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, you have lost nothing that cannot be restored to you. Now, I sat there amazed by what he was saying, and I knew that, of course, there's some things that can't be restored because of sin, right? Time. There's sometimes time and sometimes opportunities. And, but maybe, maybe some of that can be restored, too, in the next life. Other opportunities can come their way. Uh, maybe, they'll, maybe they'll get married again and have that marriage sealed and have children. And I, I sat there thinking, Scott, about this, and I thought, Wow! And I and the, I knew that this inmate and all the other inmates were feeling this. Wow, to get this vision of beyond this life of all that could be restored to us through the atonement of Jesus Christ, either through the compensatory blessings, the enabling blessings, or the redemptive blessings, uh, based on our desires based on our accountability, based on our faith, based on our repentance, that really, Scott, the scripture that went through my mind was Isaiah, that there will be 
beauty out of ashes, that out of something that's really bad and really ugly, that the atonement of Jesus Christ can make really beautiful. So I, as we end this podcast, just bear my testimony to you, Scott, and to all of our listeners of the mercy and grace and power that is available to us in our lives because of the uh, redeeming atonement of Jesus Christ. As we round out this podcast, and we'll move uh, again into the next podcast, we'll continue down the same vein of the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. I just hope that all of us, because there is application for every single one of us listening to this podcast, regardless of where we are in our lives, uh, if we're going to the temple daily, weekly, and I'm not saying that's what we should be doing, but if that is what you're doing, that's one thing. And if you're still just trying to figure out a faith crisis, maybe, maybe our testimonies aren't as strong, whatever the case may be, I just hope that all of us can see ourselves in something that we've talked about today, because we are there. And if we are there, so is he. And if he is there, then there's hope and there's redemption through all of the garbage that we go through in our lives. I testify that that's true. I've lived that. And I'm still living that today, the good part of that today. I'm still living that redemptive, compensatory, and uh, enabling powers of the atonement of Jesus Christ in my own life because of the principles that we are sharing here. And and that's our that's our our mission here is to just instill hope in you, to just give you that same hope, that same love, that same vision that he loves us, that he cares deeply for us, that he is aware of ourselves more deeply aware even than we are of what we need and how we can obtain absolute joy and happiness in this world, for that is his intent for us. We're glad that you were with us today. Remember the email, he redeems us at gmail.com. We'd love your comments. We'd love to uh, get any input or questions that you may have that we may address here on the podcast as well. Thanks for being with us. As always, God bless you. Know that he loves you. And this week, as you're sitting in sacrament meeting, for those of you who do and partake of the sacrament, remember, remember that as we renew covenants there, we invite the gift of the Holy Ghost. We invite his constant companionship, which is the promise that we receive there. And as we do so, that is exactly how we put on the covering or the atonement of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to you to being with you next week. Until then, have a great week, everybody.